Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are going to have a great show for you today. This is Patty Wyatt with GirlfriendIt, and we have a guest. She's an author, and her name is Melissa Spolstra. She just recently finished a book called Dare to Hope. And she shares how a hope-filled living is actually possible, even in an unstable world. And sometimes you read, you know, that, and you go, oh, yeah, such a cliche. And yet there's so much more to really unpack with that. And it's interesting because I just recently received a letter. Well, actually, my, my daughter received a letter from a college saying, you know, welcome to this particular college. And... Uh, in this letter, I, I have to read sections to you because maybe you can uh, get engaged the way I did. I literally had to read this letter twice just to allow my brain to wrap around the message of, you know, there's a message of hope in here, of solutions, and literally walking a new student down a road of it's okay to embark on the unknown. So I'm going to share just sections of this. Um, there's the first paragraph that's just the greeting of welcome to our college. And then he gets into, I have a few things I want to share with you before entering college. First, you will experience tremendous growth from your education to your friendships and just through a new life experience. But this was the kicker. It says, don't be afraid of trying new things, talking to new people, etc., because that's where growth takes place. And um, that really caught me because I thought, okay, here you are having to tell people, hey, this is a safe place. Don't be afraid. Then he goes on to say, second, it's okay to not know everything. As millennials and Gen Zers, we want control. We want to know everything, map out everything, and plan everything so we can be successful as soon as possible, right? Yeah, I get it. Well, I'm here to tell you that it's okay to not know exactly what you want to do career-wise in the future. You're here to learn, grow, and have fun. Then it goes into, finally, in this time of social media, it is so easy to compare ourselves to others. Throughout your entire education, you've been side by side with your peers doing the same exact things, and now that's all going to change. If you need to take an extra semester so you can add a minor, that's okay. If you want to do online classes and work more, that's okay. Everyone is at different stages doing different things. Stay focused on what works best for you. And then, of course, he has a, a nice closure of being excited and you're going to embark on this new new journey. But like I said, I, I went back and I read the letter twice because of some of the, the verbiage in there of don't be afraid and it's it's okay to not know everything. It's okay to not have control. It's okay that, 
you are going to be going down a path with your peers, but they might be doing something different than you. And that's what, what made me really realize, wow, because they compare themselves so much through social media, they have to stay right next parallel to, to their peers. And just in, in the corporate world of doing, you know, the training, I like to research a lot about multi-generations um, simply because of teaching this topic um, in how do you lead, how do you co collaborate with, you know, diverse groups and mainly multi-generational teams? How do we put them together? How do we look and be aware, you know, using your emotional intelligence on if you're a baby boomer, how you get, how are you getting along with a generation Z, generation Y, millennials, etc.? Because this is the first time ever in history that we have five generations actually working together. And I have found just startling, you know, findings from the research and interviews with young people. I'm going to share some research by economist and author Norena Hertz. And she goes on to say that the, the generation um, Z is very pessimistic. And some of you moms that might be listening to this, you're seeing this in, in your children where they seem very cynical and maybe even critical at times, critical of themselves. They don't want to do anything unless they, they know how to do it in perfection. And it talks about uh, a huge majority believe their lives will be more difficult than those of their parents. And the statistics show that 79% worry about getting a job while 72% worry about debt. Um, they're anxious. And of course, they've had so much just in social media of just the horrors in the news. 70% are worried about terrorism. Uh, symptoms of depression and anxiety are way up among this generation because there's so much talk of anxiety and depression. So they start focusing on it and then they see it in themselves. And if you, you're working along with teens or you're talking with teens, they will talk about, you know, I'm clinically depressed. So they at some point have gone to a counselor, they've talked about it with a doctor, and it's the norm now to be clinically depressed. Uh, so there's a, quite a few reports even um, of self-harm, cutting, doing things because they want to be able to feel. They're deeply distrustful of the government. Only one in 10 trust the government to do the right thing. The number among uh, millennials and Gen Zers is slightly uh, rosier. Um, I actually the millennials is slightly rosier than the Gen Zers, um, just by 20%. So in other words, the distrust just keeps getting worse um, as we are <laughs> putting more kids on the planet. Um, their opinions of business are even worse. A pathetic 6% of Gen Zers trust corporations to do the right thing. Uh, the number for adults in, in general is 60%. When asked what comes to mind when they think of global corporations, they typically volunteer words such as uh, they're selfish, they're arrogant, they're greedy, they're cheating, and they're untrustworthy. They think the system is rigged. This generation does not believe that life is a system based on ability. In fact, not one teenager surveyed 
agreed with the, st- the statement that society is fair and everyone has an equal chance. Instead, they believe that it's the color of their skin, their sex, their parents' economic status, and their social standing that will determine their future. And you have to pause and ask, is this coming from their parents or is this something that they have decided on their own through social media, um, through the Twitter mobs? You know, where are they gathering this, this information to be able to answer um, when they're asked, interviewed, and the research is done? They're not as selfish as sometimes feared. 92% believe that helping others in need is important. 70% say inequality worries them greatly. And how can you sum all this up? Perhaps one of the most telling details in her article is the name she chooses for this generation. And I do find this fascinating. And I think many of you, um, the listeners out there, would, would agree with this. And it would be actually Generation K. And the K comes from Katniss Everdeen, the heroine of Hunger Games. Like Katniss, they feel the world they inhabit is one of perpetual struggles, unequal and harsh. And once again, you have to stop and and pause there. And so many wanted, uh, especially females, they wanted to be Katniss Everdeen. They even... um, wore their hair like Katniss. They kind of got their attitude of, this is, I'm here to take on the world. I I want to be a hero. I want this kind of ad- adventure. And it really did change the worldview for Generation Z. And they saw it from the eyes of Katniss of perhaps this is where our world is heading. Uh, Figures from the Office for National Statistics show that the number of marriages taking place, and this was actually done in England and Wales, and it'd be curious to see where that is for the U.S., but it has decreased from over 400,000 in 1971 to just over 230,000 in 2009. People are waiting until they're older to get married. Uh, with the average age having gone from 22 to 30 for women, and for men, it's from 24 to 33, uh, which is interesting. And the reason for this, of course, is because we socially accept couples living together outside of marriage. But even when this happens, it's hard to do so in a house, which they own. So the the other statistics from the Office of National Statistics say an average house, um, the Pricing has increased by 7% since 1980, with the number of first-time buyers decreasing as these prices have moved up. So as a result, the average age of getting on the housing ladder is also well over 30. And you add student loans to this and many of the other things we consider to be part of normal adult life, marriage, a house, um, your Verizon bills, uh, having to, you know, be on Netflix, whatever it is, it's uh, definitely makes them feel overwhelmed and they're not able to uh, afford that. So this seems like a ton of gloom. I know I'm big on research and statistics, um, but the article goes on to talk about that this generation values authenticity and connection. So they're big on relationships and it also delves into their identity as, um, as, as you know, really trying to unpack their identity and figure out who they are. 
but unfortunately, the verdict does seem pretty grim. To sum it up, a lot of their anxiety often comes not from what they do, but the idea that they should be doing something else. Uh, they should be on a certain path or they should already have done more. So as we go into our commercial break, I want to leave on this question. What's gone wrong to make young people so unhappy and anxious and what needs to do- be done about it? And so we are going to unpack that with our guest as she talks about Dare to Hope. So I hope you stay with us um, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriended. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. If you are a runner or dancer, or if you play soccer, tennis, football, basketball, or any sport that involves sprinting with sudden starts and stops, you are more likely to get a hamstring injury. Your hamstring muscle runs along the back of your thighs. The Mayo Clinic tells us that a hamstring injury occurs when you strain or pull one of your hamstrings. You also might experience a partial or complete muscle tear, which does not necessarily mean that you have to have surgery, but it can be painful. If you injure your hamstring, you need to take time out to let it recover with rest, ice, and over-the-counter pain medications, which are often all you need to reduce the swelling and relieve the pain. The best advice is to keep your muscles strong and active to prevent the injury in the first place. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Do you ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing. More joy and less judgment. You're not alone. Come to The Living Room, a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We're saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. 
a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Girlfriend at Radio. This is Patty, and Lisa is out and about today. But we are all about rallying women to do the remarkable, whether that is in your company, your family, your ministry, or in your friendships. And we we left kind of on a, a doom and gloom note, talking about Generation T. And we are now going to to bring hope into this whole um, doom and gloom. And we have author and speaker Melissa Spolstra, and she has a new book out called Dare to Hope. And this book draws upon her best-selling Bible study, Jeremiah, Daring to Hope in an Unstable World. Uh, talking about just, well, basically reminding us that God is rich in mercy and love and has good plans for his people. So welcome, Melissa. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, Melissa, we have been talking about Generation Zers and a little bit about uh, with the millennials, but just stating how there is a lot of anxiety and depression mm. Um, in this generation, they talk about it a lot. It seems like they've almost normalized this word of anxiety. Like yeah. that's just, we, we just have to figure out the coping mechanisms. We know we, we have it. And, and so in, in reading your book and this Bible study of hope filled living is possible. Tell us a little bit about your story and why you decided to dig deeper into this particular topic. Sure. Uh, for me, I was reading through the pages of Jeremiah, just in my regular reading through Scripture, and was just kind of haunted at the parallels between his day and ours, when people had really hoped, uh, had hitched their hope wagons to their circumstances and to their own human efforts and abilities. And I think it's a similar message that we have today. There's a lot of parallels between what was going on politically and uh with counterfeit gods and things like that. And, and while it was such a different uh, cultural setting, there's these parallels even in the midst of it. While we're not worshiping Baal or setting up little idols in our house, we're looking to things other than God. There's a quote by Timothy Keller who wrote Counterfeit Gods that anything that captures your heart and imagination more than God, anything you're seeking to give you what only God can give can become an idol in your life. And so for me at the, at the time, my daughter was 12, one of my twin girls, and all of her hair began to fall out. She has an autoimmune disease called alopecia. And this was really tough for a middle school girl. You know, middle school is a tough age. It's a time when identity is a huge question. You know, which lunch table am I sitting at? Am I an athlete? Am I an academic? Um, what, you know, what, am I going to take the faith that my parents have taught me and make it my own? Or, or what direction am I going to go in? And so it was just a, a really challenging time for her and and you know as a mom watching your daughter work through these these seasons of, of darkness where you know at one point she told me she said you know mom all my life you told me that God was good and he loved me and that he was for me and all my life you told me that God could do anything and that nothing is impossible for him 
and I've begged him for my hair back, so either he can't or he won't. And that's not, not a very hopeful posture to be in. And, and I do think as, as believers in Christ, when we're in pain, and like you said, you've just been talking about this next generation, and I have four children in the generation you're talking about. They range in age from 16 up to 22. And I see all of these things in there, you know, the, the anxiety and the stress and the depression. And, and, and I think as the church, we have to be careful not to just say uh, our cliches or our little trite statements or bully each other with Scripture. You know, oh, we'll take this verse. And, you know, Scripture is a weapon, but it's to be used against the enemy, not against, certainly not our children or against any other believer. It should encourage and inspire us. And, and that's what happened for me in the pages of Jeremiah as my daughter was walking through this. And I was able to say to her, baby, I have no idea why your hair has fallen out. And I have no idea why you've prayed and prayed and asked God. And, and at this point, he hasn't chosen to give it back to you. But this I know can sit in your misery and make everyone around you miserable. And for this generation, they can either be entitled and be anxious and be depressed and sad all the time, or we can choose to be daring with hope. And by that, I mean to believe that somehow that God is in it, that he is with us, that his promises are true. And we have to make those choices all the time. And so i kind of asking the question, how did the prophet Jeremiah do it? How, when he was in such an unstable environment and where there were very few people that were committed to following God and the reverse economy that is God's way, how did he do it? And so the book just kind of goes through, hey, let's look at Jeremiah's life and see how did he have hope in the most unstable, dark times. And, and he was a prophet who did struggle with some depression and some ups and downs. But at the end of the day, he wrote some very hopeful verses. Mm. Okay. Uh, there are some really powerful things that you said, and, and I want to even go back to your daughter with the alopecia because sure. I, I, I believe that what she was going through, and you said she was 12? Yeah, when, when it first started. And that just seems so young, and it, it, it breaks my heart. Um, but I do think it, it is happening younger and younger. And I know, um, and, and my daughter wouldn't mind me sharing this because she has shared, but it's similar. She was in junior high and as parents, which a, a lot of our listeners are in ministry leaders, as well as moms that we do want to throw verses and scripture. And I love what you said that of course, you know, the scripture is sharper than any two-edged sword, but it is meant to encourage and inspire us. And I think we have to be very careful because I've seen a lot of ministry leaders use it in, with their intent to encourage right. and inspire, and it ends up shaming and mm-hmm. even causing more anxiety. Um, just through, I, like I said, with, with my own daughter, um, she dealt with darkness of feeling like demons around her. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kept using scripture that, you know, it, it once again, his, his word is sharper than any two-edged sword. You, you know, read scripture out loud, right. say Jesus's name and all these things. And ex- she had the same response that your daughter. It's like, but God's not doing anything about this. Right. And at some point, like you said, we have to make the choices. Um, we have to allow God to work. And that doesn't mean, oh, okay, I'm going to make that choice. God, I'm going to allow you to work. And now my hair is going to grow back. And right. it's so hard. And insane. It is so hard. 
is so hard. And, you know, I think what she would say is that the trite things or the scripture can at times make them feel like, well, if I just had more faith, then this would be fixed, or this is somehow my fault. And and we see the prophet Jeremiah wrestling. I mean, he said, if there was any depressed person in scripture, it was Jeremiah. You know, he, he said things like, I wish I hadn't been born. And, and the Lord let him wrestle in that way. He was allowed to to make his complaints to God and to say the hard things. And God didn't shame him for saying the hard things. Instead, he in, he spoke truth to him, but he inspired him to walk closely with him, to, to hitch his hope wagon, not just circumstances. In fact, where the title comes from is from the Book of Lamentations. It's a book that Jeremiah wrote. It's his lament. And it shows us that it's very actually biblical to lament our sufferings. And he goes with his laundry list of, you know, the thought of my homelessness is bitter beyond words. He says, everything I longed for from the Lord was lost. And then he says, but yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. My, uh, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. So I think there's these two parts, but because we live in this society that we do, no one puts on a coffee cup or a social media meme or a T-shirt, everything I longed for from the Lord is lost, right? We put the second part, the steadfast love of the Lord, you know, those verses. And I think both are, are scriptural, the lamenting and then the rehearsing of God's attributes. And when it came to my daughter, we did... Um, let her go see a counselor because, you know, I told my sister, who is a therapist, I said, you know, she's mad and sad all the time. And she goes, I hate to say it, Melissa, but when you're mad and sad all the time, that can be depression. And so we did go get her some help. And, you know, the counselor told us she needs to grieve her hair. It's a loss. And grieving is a very biblical thing. In fact, the, the Hebrew people would hire mourners to go and, and really lament the death and, and to grief together. But what, you know, one of the things the counselor had her do was to write in her journal and to write out all of these thoughts and feelings rather than to keep them bottled up to get them out. But as I looked through Jeremiah's prayers, I noticed what was missing for her is that rehearsing the attributes of God. Yes, throw up everything you're feeling, all the thoughts, all the feelings, all the darkness, all the questions. But then remind yourself of who your God is. And Jeremiah did it over and over. He said, Oh Lord God, you've made the earth and the heavens by your great power. Nothing is too difficult. It's like he's reminding himself of who his God is. So I remember just as a mom praying about how I could help my daughter without preaching at her, without the jabby verses or the shaming things. And so I just began to find the most hopeful verses I could find in Scripture about God's character. And I wrote them on index cards, and I just began flipping them under her pillow every night a different one. And eventually I noticed her journal getting kind of thick and she was taping them at the bottom of these prayers, wow. these hopeful wow. verses of scripture. And, 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 and no, most we have to go into a commercial break. So we'll hold yes. that thought and come right back. Thank Definitely. You.
This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one of a kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Researchers report that most people living in the slimmest cities in the United States said that they exercise on a regular basis and eat healthy, low-calorie foods. They also frequently eat fruit and vegetables. In fact, half or more of the residents in all the least obese cities report exercising for at least 30 minutes three or more days a week. That's in sharp contrast to the nation's 10 most obese cities, where in all but one, less than half of the residents report exercising that much. Smoking rates were also lower than the national average in all of the least obese metropolitan areas. So regardless of where you live, keep those healthy habits of daily exercise and low-calorie eating to stay slim and healthy. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. chatting with Melissa Spolstras and she Spolstra Melissa am I saying that correct Melissa yeah Spolstra. you are Spolstra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway she is a popular women's conference speaker bible teacher and author who is madly in love with Jesus and passionate about helping others to seek Christ and know him more intimately and Melissa in your latest book dare to hope uh, you talk about some amazing things in Jeremiah and how we can truly take practical steps in finding that hope and, and truly having a fulfilled life in, in doing that process. But I want to go back to, you made a comment about putting index cards underneath your, your daughter's pillow. And then you noticed her, she was sticking them in her journal. And I, I think this is powerful, um, to do some of these things for our children, even though at some point they might roll their eyes, they are reading right. it and are hearing it and they're, they're feeling our love because of it. And it doesn't always have to be like we talked about, um, scripture that's just going to, uh, shame them or make them feel inadequate. Uh, there's other things to do. And I, and I just want to unpack that a little bit more. So what were some of the things you would write on the index card? You know, just notes of sometimes they were scripture verses, hopeful scripture verses about God's character or just reminders of who God was or reminders of how much she was loved. You know, just kind of that as she's mourning and lamenting and but reminding her that there is hope, that we can 
dare to hope. And, you know, when I said to her, you know, can I, that, you know, you can either sit in your misery and be miserable or you can be daring with hope. She did just like what you said. She didn't say, oh, mom, thank you so much for your wisdom. I'm going to implement that. You know, <laughs> she said she rolled her eyes and was like, you just don't get it. But I will say this about her. She wrestled with God. And as a mom, I had to wrestle with God to know when to say stuff, when to be quiet, when to write a note. I know some parents who pass a journal back and forth with their children to try to help understand their feelings. And, and because as parents in this generation, we still learn to enter their world. And it is so difficult because the world has changed so much. The landscape of it with technology has changed so much. And, and to normalize lamenting, you know, we were, we were talking a little bit before that our world, certainly the message is pursue happiness. Go on a vacation, buy yourself this thing, you deserve to be happy, you know, YOLO, you only live once. You know, these are the messages the world gives. But even sometimes in the church, we only highlight the happiness verses or the hopeful verses. And to remind our kids that it's okay to be sad and it's okay to sit in your suffering because life is hard and we live on a broken planet. And when we're suffering... We, it reminds us of the hope of heaven and that we do have a Savior who is rescuing us from this, the, the difficulties of life. But, boy, life is painful. It, it, yes. And, you know, going back even to what you were saying of, you know, some parents, they trade journals and they go back and forth. Um, my older daughter, and once again, I have permission to share this. Sometimes I, I share things. I've actually had people go, wow, you, you share some things <laughs> about your kids. And they, they're they really in the, the right heart set and mindset right. to go, if, if people can benefit from this, um, yes, we understand why you share this. But uh, my older daughter, it was her idea when, when she was in high school, she put this beautiful letter in the um, journal and it was underneath my pillow inviting me into writing in the journal and passing it back and forth. So it was her idea. She did it. I was blown away and I can look back on that journal and it's just, it's amazing. Uh, You know, so amazing. Yeah. If it was just one sentence sometimes that she would write down or it was just one verse she would share with me, it was amazing. So I then thought I will, you know, do this same. Oh, going back when my daughter got married, I was able to read some sections of it at her bridal Mm. shower. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It was like a tearjerker for me. Such a cool moment. Right. Like, yeah. And so I then thought, all right, I want to make sure I have the same tradition with my younger daughter. And I put the journal in, in her room. (laughs) I did not get the same reaction, let's just say. And uh, she wrote back, you know, just uh, there was anger there. There was, um, you know, I I don't know what you want from this. I don't want to write down my thoughts. I don't. And, uh, you know, we laugh about it now. But at the time, it it kind of broke me. I thought, Oh, where does all of this anger, you know, come from? And, you know, I'm saying this so other listeners can go what you see and you hear and you go, Oh, I'm going to try that. And then (laughs) it doesn't work out for you. You, you have a tendency to push the child away or um, just, you know, throw the journal at them. I don't know what you're, you know, in your mind, but every child is different. And 
even so that different. yeah it took me a long time to process that to go okay god what now how do you deal with like you said this kind of suffering to embrace that and go okay let's embrace the anger let's let's talk through this rather than i live in a world of everything should be you know happy and unicorns and cotton candy right. and this right. is not where she lives right Right. And that, you know, Christ showed us that he endured, you know, the cross. He said he disregarded the shame of it, but there was, you know, that it was hard. And some of the things that we have to endure are difficult. And I'll just say that to kind of finish my daughter's story, she was bald for five and a half years and had to kind of embrace the wig and no eyelashes, no uh, and she has an identical twin sister, so she could look every day and go, well, that's what I would look like, you know, if I had wow. eyelashes and eyebrows and these things. But I will say she did wrestle with God. And even though she rolled her eyes at me, you know, when I would say, here's what I do know, she, years later, her senior year of high school, she spoke at or gave her testimony at a girl's or at a, like a girl's teen girls event. And I wasn't able to be there, but I listened to the recording and I heard her say, as she's telling her story of pain, you know, I just realized I could sit in my misery and make everyone around me miserable, or I could choose to dare to hope in God. And so I heard her say the very thing I had said to her five years before, at, that she was listening and she was wrestling. And her senior year of high school, her hair began to grow back out of nowhere. There was no magic potion. or And, and it's come and gone. You know, she never got her eyelashes or eyebrows back her first year of college this year. She's lost a lot of hair, I think, just the stress of being away. And she's had to learn that her hope, her joy, is not in having hair or not having hair. It has to be in intimacy with God and, and finding her hope and daring to hope in God, even when her circumstances are screaming foul. And she's actually at Bible college studying to be a missionary because she did find hope in God through all of her pain and all of the difficulty. And she wants to share that that hope is found in no other place. The book of Romans tells us that, that every other hope will disappoint us. If we put it in a person, that person might let us down or, or they might die. If we put our hope in our finances, they might grow wings and fly away. If we put our hope in our job or in our ability that God has given us, then that, you know, that could go away too. And so it's one of those things that we enjoy all these gifts of God that he's given us, our health, our hair, whatever it is, and we appreciate those things. But they are not ultimate in our life. They're not the thing that we're ultimately placing our hope in when despair hits us. And so we can learn from Jeremiah, how did he do that? How did he plant himself right next to the river? How did he stay close to God? And that's really what I wrote about in the book to say, here are some practical, tangible things that we can learn from him to not put our hope in all of the things, but instead to be deeply rooted in Christ. Well, we only talked about one step, (laughs) and that was the the (laughs) idols, you know, that you, and and I do love that because we do have a tendency to go, oh yeah, we don't have something carved out in front of us, but we might be, um, our idol might be social media. It might be, you know, right. binging Netflix or, or, yeah, our hair totally. or 
Yeah. And I'm guilty of both of those ones you named. So there we go. Those are very real and tangible. (laughs) Exactly. Well, mine, I do have a friend that um, is also going through that where she's lost her hair and she wears a wig. And as much as I, you know, my heart bleeds, I, I literally go, oh, God, please don't do that to me. And then I then I go, okay, God, but don't do it to me because now I'm asking you not to do it to me. <laughs> I start playing that game. So my, my heart right. um, bleeds for, for your daughter with that. And just that surrendering that over and then you're going, but be gentle in that surrender. Um, right. We only have two more minutes before our um, commercial break, but you, one of yours is also in your practical guidelines is listening. And I'd like to just in two minutes kind of share, and then we'll come back from our commercial break and talk about that as well. Well, I do think we live in such a noisy culture with, you know, we've got radios playing, background noise, televisions on, podcasts. There's just so much noise and it's, it can be difficult to be still and to listen to God through his word, through his spirit in prayer. And so I, I know, uh, I know we just have a minute, but for me, it was, you know, working with middle school students at church and hearing how so many of these girls weren't telling their mom things because they thought their mom was always distracted and busy and wasn't a good listener. And it made me check myself as a mom. And then I thought, gosh, if I'm struggling to listen to the people right in my own house, uh, the God that I cannot see, and are, are we struggling to listen? And the word is all over Jeremiah. And so it's, it's a discipline to have big ears. My husband says, God gave us one mouth and two ears. Do you think he was trying to tell us something? <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> so, yeah, listening is a, is a big thing. And in Jeremiah 33.3, it's got the phone number. It's a verse that says, call to me and I will answer you. And I will tell you great and remarkable things you do not know about things to come. So how incredible that our God invites us. He's given us his phone number. He says, call me and I will listen to you. I will tell you what you need to know, but I'm asking you to come to me, to call to me. And on that note, we are going to go into our commercial break and we will come back with Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia plants churches that intentionally care for children. We won't stop until every child has a church. For more information, go to stadia.cc. 
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. In this day and age, eating at home has become more difficult. Harvard Medical School offers tips for healthy eating away from home to keep you on track with your healthy, low-calorie eating. When ordering at a restaurant, ask how the food is prepared, as this will help you make appropriate choices. Look for less by choosing lean meats and lower-calorie choices. Practice portion control, and if the portion is too big, don't be afraid to ask for a doggy bag instead of eating it all. Order an extra side of vegetables and fill up on those first. Do your research before you go to the restaurant. Most menus and nutritional information are online, and you can check before you go. They say that by following these simple tips, you can make your dining experience as healthy as it is enjoyable. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. We are talking with author and speaker, Melissa Spolstra, and her new book, Dare to Hope. Uh, Melissa, we, we went into the commercial break talking about Jeremiah 333 and Mm -hmm. I, I have, I'm laughing when, as soon as you said that about calls to me and we don't, we don't take the time to discipline ourselves, uh, to just be still. And this morning, my, my husband's out of town and I was on a hike by myself And often Mm -hmm. I'll call my brothers and my sisters during that time, you know, when you're out walking, because I'm usually with my husband doing it. So I like, oh, you know, I'll I'll call one of them. And anyway, as I went through, there's, there's six of us. So I have quite a few to call. (laughs) (laughs) I went through my list. None of them, you know, were available. And I literally thought, oh, I guess I'll pray. I guess I'll talk to God. I guess I'll just pray. No, I totally get it. Sad. It's sad that you know when. Well, nobody else is available. It's like, okay, God, I guess I'll talk to you. You know, <laughs> and and yet when you think of you know that should have been my first, you know, thought is to call him rather than going through through my siblings. So, um, I love that verse and just t- share a little bit more about that. Sure. In, in- that word "listen" in Jeremiah is the word "shema." It's the Hebrew word, and, you know, the, in Jewish circles, the Shema is Deuteronomy uh, 6.4, where it says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It is the central prayer of Judaism about hearing from God, the Shema. And, and I remember just when I was first studying Jeremiah, it was the first Bible study I ever wrote, and I remember thinking, Lord, this book is so, you know, deep. Is this a book for theologians and not a book for just me, you know, this lowly woman? That very day, I remember reading Jeremiah 9, where it says, Listen, O you women, to the words of this prophecy. Pay attention to what it has to say. And I remember just thinking, oh, wow, God was actually speaking directly to the women. And why was that? And it's because we do have such influence in our homes, in our communities, in our churches. You know, they say, if mom ain't happy, 
ain't nobody happy. You know, we, we set yeah. a tone. And God is calling us to listen to him, listen, oh, you women, to what I have to say. And it does take some discipline. It it means setting other things aside. And I've heard it said, you know, don't go to the, go to the throne, not the phone. But mm-hmm. we just have this penchant for the physical and the tangible and what we can see, taste, touch, and feel. And, and there, God is still real, but yet we can't see him and we can't touch him. And so it, we do have to discipline ourselves to listen to him. And, and I think there's a few different ways we can listen to him, obviously through his word. Jeremiah said, uh, when I discovered your words, I devoured them. They are my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God of heaven's army. So I read that word devour, and I don't know what you think of, but I think of chocolate cake. Right? (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) when we're going to devour something, and too many times God's word becomes more like a vitamin pill for me. Like, swallow it down. I know it is good. Check it off my little YouVersion app or you know, my reading plan so that I can say I get it. And so I think in order to listen to God more intently, it means taking a posture change towards God's Word and saying, this is a way that I can know God, and I'm going to read it expecting that I'm going to learn something about God. You know, who, what am I going to learn about God? What am I going to learn about people in general? Is there anything that I'm reading in God's Word that, you know, resonates with my current circumstances? And just kind of have a more curious posture towards God's Word as the words of life, that's definitely a way to listen to Him. But then also just to ask Him questions. I mean, I write things in my journal, like, God, you know, I remember years ago writing, God, why is Jeremiah so disorganized? This book is not in chronological order, you know, and or, you know, what what would you have me do with my time during this season? Or, you know, these questions, and it's not like God writes at the bottom of my page the way you and your daughter did back and forth, but... When we call to him, he he promises that he will answer. Sometimes he uses people. Sometimes it's actually in his word that he answers me. When I wrote, why is Jeremiah so disorganized? I remember that very day I was in Ecclesiastes, and it says, accept the way God does things. Don't try to make straight when he's made crooked. And I laughed because it was like a a direct answer. And and I don't know if that's happened with you where you've been praying or asking God something and then you open to your daily reading or your Bible study or you go to church in the sermon and it's like the very question you had, God uses his word to answer. Have you had any, can you think of anything where God's done that for you? Absolutely. And what's interesting uh, about that, um, Melissa, is that sometimes you're not quite, sometimes it's just so blatant, like you said. I mean, it's just, you're reading this word and you can hear, you can really hear it and feel it piercing your heart. And then other times you go, I think this is of God. And you start going down that path because you feel like he's giving you the answers. And then you start planning it out because you get, I, I've been known to celebrate victories before they happen. But yes, it was God. I, you're going down a path And you're going, oh, well, maybe this wasn't God because it's not turning out the way you wanted it to. But it took you taking that step to get you down the path that he had intended for you to go. It's just redirected. You would have never gone that path if you didn't feel like it was God talking to you. Does that make sense? (laughs) Totally. I think sometimes, most times, we don't see God's voice and God's hand until the height the benefit of hindsight, you know, in the moment you can start to go, is that me or is that you, you know, but, but he does, he directs and, and maybe takes us down what we thought was going to go this way, but it's for him ultimately to get us, you know, to another way. And so that, that posture of listening, you know, through his word, 
through prayer, and that means not just talking to God, but spending time quietly in His presence. I can't imagine if my husband and I, and I sat down with him and was like, hey, we need to talk about what's going on with our daughter, and I think three of the cars all need oil changes, and I think, you know, we need to address this situation at church. And I asked him all those questions, and then I got up and walked away. You know, that's, that's not how we would ever do it with another human. We would ask the questions, and then you would sit and go, what do you think? And you would listen. And yet, I look at my own prayer life, and so many times I just laundry list for God all the things I need direction, I need wisdom on. I can ask all the right questions, but I don't pause long enough for Him to direct my thoughts or bring an idea or you know, let the Holy Spirit bring a scripture to mind that might address the question I'm asking. And so uh, I've tried to incorporate that into my prayer life. And even now I find myself saying amen and then going, oh, wait, I should I should actually listen for a few minutes to see if, if God would actually direct me in some of those ways. And it's not a vending machine or, you know, the ATM where you put your prayer in and he spits the answer out. It's a relationship. But all relationships involve talking and listening. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Uh I I say that often. I tell my kids, God God isn't your your personal genie, and yet right. sometimes I don't take my advice. And right. you you throw it out there, but yeah, you're you're not in that true intimate relationship where you're waiting and listening and and being still. I I know for me for such a long time I would give this excuse, and this is the first time I'm saying it out loud, so I'm a little embarrassed by it, but I I would pray, and because I have a little bit of ADHD along with 99% of the rest of the population, right, right. I, I would then kind of blame it on God. Well, it's your fault. You're the one that created me this, this way right. that I can just sit and be still. And I literally would have those thoughts, and I'm I'm embarrassed to say that now, but it's true. I it no, you know it's I like think no, we are all wired up differently, but I think it is a discipline, you know, to yeah. say. And I'm not talking about a half an hour. Like I get antsy too. I I'm very much like you in that struggling to focus wrong. But sometimes I honestly will just set a two minute timer on my phone or a five minute timer on my phone. I mean, five minutes you spend that waiting in traffic every day, right? You know, like. But just to sit for just the, that short amount of time and be still is so restorative to our souls. And so that time of reflection on who God is and, and listening for his voice, is it's so beneficial. It's so worth it. Mm, so, so true. And we, we just have... Um, we're, I can't believe this show has just zoomed by, and I, I appreciate you just pouring in, <laughs> pouring your heart into this book, uh, being obedient to what God's called you to do, and then being able to share with us um, what what you have written. And I, I just want to say on the last part of your steps is just to truly pursue intimacy with God, and, and we mm. you kind of covered that. But if you could just, we have three minutes left in the show. If you could just share to our listeners, what was one thing that you did, like one tip to just go, how do you really pursue this intimacy with God? Mm. You know, for me, it's about Jesus. And I just want to say, Jeremiah prophesied about Jesus. He called him the righteous branch. He uses this illustration of a tree planted by the water being God. But for me, you know, pursuing 
is constantly having to realign myself with the truth that I know and spending that time with him is the way that I would say pursuing intimacy. You know, there's just never, I think what I'm constantly trying to do is coast off previous knowledge or previous experiences and forgetting that I am just so leaky and that I need God all the time. And so prayer isn't something I check off in the morning. Um, It's, you know, this constant dialogue with God throughout the day. And there's no like magic formula. This will get you close to God if you do this. But I do think it's, what I see in Jeremiah's life is this authenticity, telling God all the personal details. We can't go into it now, but in Jeremiah 13, God uses the illustration of underwear. He has Jeremiah go and hide a loincloth, which is underwear, and then he brings it out, and he says, this is how close I wanted Israel and Judah to be to me, like a loincloth clings to a person's waist. That's the kind of relationship that I want to have with my people. And then he says, but they would not listen to me. And so just reminding myself, realigning myself to the truth that God wants to be close to me so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for me, and that he has given me this direct access to him through his son Jesus, and that I need that time with him, that time in his word, and that time with other believers to keep pursuing that intimacy and not thinking, oh, well, I prayed yesterday, so I don't need to pray today, or oh, I read in depth, you know, that every day, every moment, I need to lean in and press in and uh, deepen that walk, that relationship with him. Mm, and that is so beautifully said. Thank you so much, Melissa. Uh, I, I am chuckling. I love it when you can make things so relevant, like taking that loincloth and, and turning, because that is what it is. It's the underwear. It and is. This, it's underwear. I love yeah. it. Well, thank you so much for being on our show. We are finished for today. Go and have a great weekend. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show 